A new era is unraveling before us, and conversation, data, and action are our only hope. Join us to learn together about the future of cities and how entrepreneurs are approaching our present-day challenges. The goal of this podcast is to unite real estate lovers, technology adopters, environment enthusiasts, and creative thinkers that are working toward achieving greater and fair collaboration for all. Come sit with us and discover how investing in these key initiatives improves our built environment, the public discourse, and climate change. We examine diverse issues through interviews and conversations where going off on a tangent is encouraged, hoping to help you become a more nuanced thinker and find comfort in data. Good morning, everyone. This is Edward Cohen, your co-host from Tangent. Today, we have the opportunity to listen to and learn from Benjamin Knaffel, a founding team member and the vice president of strategic growth for post-acute recovery, a company in the healthcare space that operates a network of outpatient addiction and mental health treatment centers called Strive Health. Hi, Benji. Thanks for joining us. Where does this podcast find you? Hey, Eddie. It's nice to be with you today. I am currently at my office. Uh, Most people aren't going into the office, but I am uh, here in New York City in Midtown Manhattan. That's uh, definitely great to hear that slowly but surely uh, New York City workers are going back to their uh, habitats and uh, hopefully city will recover sooner rather than later. I, I hope so. So Benji, you and Strive Health are on a mission to provide high quality, evidence-based and cost-effective treatment. And uh, you're personally responsible for spearheading the development, communication and implementation of effective strategies at par with Strive Health. You have such a noble mission, which is to increase access to addiction treatment in communities across the U.S. while helping your clients maintain healthy, self-directed lives in the real world. So what does PAR mean by high-quality, cost-effective, and evidence-based treatment? Yeah, so to kind of give you a better understanding of of what we do at at Post-Acute Recovery, uh, our facilities are branded as Strive Health, Strive Centers. We are an intensive outpatient and outpatient addiction and mental health treatment company, and we operate centers in the Northeast. So we currently have facilities in uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New Hampshire, and we're working collaboratively with a couple programs in New York. And essentially, when you think about addiction and mental health treatment centers, most people often think about getting on an airplane and flying to Malibu or Florida or you know someplace warm where you can see the ocean. And you go there for 24 hours monitoring for 30 days, and then you come home and you're all better. But in reality, that's not really how addiction recovery works or mental health recovery works. What we do is done on an outpatient basis. So what that means is uh, you come to our facilities uh, for intensive outpatient care. So that's three hours a day, three times a week, and one individual session uh, with a, your primary counselor. And we consider it real recovery in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to work every single day. You're going home to have dinner with your family. You have your friends. You have your, your relationships. You have all of your triggers around. And that's what we mean by real-world recovery. And what we mean by cost-effective care is we're in network with all major commercial health plans in the areas that we do business. You'll find a lot of times that other treatment providers are out of network. And typically, when you're using your out-of-network health benefits, you're paying high deductibles, higher copays. And when you're in network, we, as the provider, have contracted rates with insurance companies 
So we know what we're going to get paid. And basically, you're just left with paying your in-network deductible and your in-network copay. So it makes it much more cost-effective for the client who's participating in our treatment. That's great. I mean, the, the last thing a healthcare provider wants is to have their prospect patients worrying about the financial bills that they're going to have to incur after going through such a you know, emotional, crucial treatment. And uh, that's very interesting, your model. Uh, you know, the way, the way I'm understanding it is in, when you're in residential care, you, you learn the theory, right? You, you learn the theory, you get the, the tools, but after when you're, when you're back to your environment, to your context, that's, that's the real test starts, if you will, right? That, that's the challenge, right? Consistency and, and improvement in your, in your real world. Exactly, yeah, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Eddie. It's uh, at residential, you know, people, people who go to residential really need to be uh, supported and, and kind of have that, that structure built for them, right? Understand what it feels like to be off of drugs and or alcohol and be in a sober environment where they're eating healthy and learning new techniques. But to your point, when you go home, what happens? You need to continue to build those structures and build a recovery network and build a support system when you go, when you go home. So as you said, uh, residential treatment, you really learn in theory. In outpatient treatment, you learn in practice. Real world is what we call it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, recently, I was reading an article from uh, Mental Health America. On, it was titled, How to Build Your Emotional PPE. And uh, it also made me think about uh, James Clear's uh, Atomic Habits that uh, we spoke in our uh, pre-conversation, which is a, a great short book I recommend to uh, retrain your brains and how to sync our reward system accordingly, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, addiction and substance dependence abuse is, is usually gives us an immediate reward, but we feel terrible afterwards, right? Uh, on the other hand, going to the gym, most likely, if, especially if we haven't been in a while, going to the gym will make us feel terrible right after it. But <laughs> after a few sessions, you, you start feeling the, the difference, right? And yeah, I think, uh, you know, at least personally, a combination of meditation, eating healthier exercise is a good start, but there's so much more to it. Yeah, well, you bring, you bring up habits and that's, you know, it's, we're, we're humans, right? We, we like habits, we're creatures of habit, as, as we oftentimes hear. And, you know, with, with addiction, you develop negative habits, right? You, you wake up and you have a craving, so you go and fulfill that craving. Uh, if you're leading and living a healthy life, right, you wake up and you may have a craving to go to the gym and exercise and get your blood flowing and you know breaking a sweat and kind of building that energy for the day. So there's two different habits, types of habits that you can create. There's positive healthy habits and there's negative unhealthy habits, right? So a lot of times with our with our clients, we we help them understand that there's 168 hours in a week. What are you doing with that time? You know, for for someone who's leading and living a healthy life, you know, their their days are filled with exercise, meditation, cooking, eating, spending time with friends and family, reading a book, catching up on the news, going to work, etc. When you're using, it's it's really hard to kind of fill those gaps with positive things because you're constantly trying to chase that effect that the that the drug and or alcohol will give to you. So uh, what we do in, in treatment is really teach what healthy behaviors look like, how to manage uh, relapse triggers, right? And kind of what kind of tools can you put into your toolkit to ultimately navigate through those challenging times to help you on that path towards recovery. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think habits are important. Routines are important. You know, you, you, you brush your teeth every day. If you didn't do that, you probably wouldn't feel so great, right? So 
we want we like habits as human beings and it's something that we need to be conscious of mm -hmm. and develop yeah we're creatures of habit and uh it's a it's a it's a constant work and the, and the idea of personal ppes uh, is really cool and i read that i read that same article right how do you how do you kind of build resiliency through these difficult times with covid mm -hmm. and a lot of people were seeing increases in prescriptions for anti-anxiety medication, sleep medications, antidepressants, those prescriptions are, are at the rate of prescription is are prescribing is increasing. And, you know, how do we develop these, these healthy habits that really keep us grounded, keep us centered? A lot of people are feeling lonely these days. Mm -hmm. And I think the only, the only person that can, you know, kind of help you go through these challenging times, obviously there's support out there if you, when you need it. Right. But you have the power to change and you can start developing these habits and building your own personal PPE through meditation, exercise, diet, or having conversations just like this, Eddie, the ones that we're mm -hmm. having and just kind of talking about important issues and, and things that we're, we're all experiencing. I, I don't think anyone's alone during these times. We're all, we're all experiencing something new and uh, something that we've never really seen before. There's a handful of people who are a hundred years old who have seen this uh, back in the early 1900s, but this is all all new for us. Yeah, no, it's th that feeling of of being lonely. I think it's something that everyone has experienced at some point in the past few months. And it's all because of the same reason, which you would think maybe this would bring us all together because we're all in the same boat, you know, more evident than ever. But uh, it's still, there's still a lot of work to do. So, uh, you know, you mentioned COVID and how mental health and addiction are unfortunately being exacerbated by the pandemic. PARS, phenomenal mission, also does a lot of work with uh, veterans and first responders who are struggling with PTSD and, and substance use disorder. I'm wondering, uh, you know, hoping that a potential silver lining arising from this is that, you know, the, the working world is changing, right? We're, we're having flexible work from home means more, more time to take care of our mental health and our loved ones. So if before it was a big commitment to look for treatment or help while having to commute every day, you know, in a nine to five, now that commuting time is way down, we're freeing up time for personal care. What does this really mean for, for mental health and, and the industry and, and how are we going to be able to access more? I mean, you also mentioned the, the stigma around it, but what can, you, what can you tell us during and after COVID around the, the topic? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier in the conversation here, my team and I provide is intensive outpatient care. So it's a, a 10 hour minimum commitment uh, to come to treatment. So if you're thinking about it, most people who have a substance use disorder, I believe it's something around 76% of people with a substance use disorder are employed full time. So they're going to work every single day. These are high functioning individuals who are going to work and you know, their colleagues or their families may not know that they even have an issue. They may not even know that they have an issue uh, themselves. So you're you're spending all this time kind of in the car, right? The average commute for somebody is is 30 minutes every single day in the car. So if you need to come to a group treatment and, and spend three hours there, how are you doing it when you have work and family and different obligations? It becomes really hard. But what we're finding yeah, is you're not with, doing it. Yeah. yeah, with the rise of telehealth, you know, treatment becomes a lot more accessible, especially when people are working from home. So in the past, if you would have if you, if you would have to go to treatment in an outpatient, you'd have to probably leave work early or get to work late, and you'd have to explain that you had a doctor's appointment, but you have three doctor's appointments in a week. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And 
unfortunately, addiction is really stigmatized and you know, people don't want other people to know about what's going on for them. So with this whole work from home, people can be at work, quote unquote, logged in onto their computer, but also kind of in the background, although I don't recommend doing this, right? You have different outlets that you can use, such as FMLA and taking time off from work uh, for health reasons. But what you can do now is you can be logged into work and no one's asking where you are because you're still on your computer, ultimately getting care delivered to you through video conference. So in our groups, we have 12 to 15 people in a group session, you know, and, and they're able to access treatment now from their home. They don't have to leave their office, get in a car, come to us, leave us, get back in the car and go home or go back to work, right? They're, they're able to kind of just access care from, from home. But with that, you have different, different challenges within that too, from, treating, from the treatment side as well. Our clinicians have a much more challenging time kind of reading the room because we're, we're not going to have a video for, for this conversation, but we're on video right now, Eddie, and I can only see from your chest up, right? So what's happening from the chest down with hand, hand movements and restless leg syndrome? I can't tell if you're sweating, right? You can't pick up on the different body languages. So with telehealth, it, it presents its own challenges, but that's something that we're learning from every single day. So we're delivering effective care and it's certainly more accessible. And I think that's, that's one of the positives, right? I think more people can access care and take care of themselves than they, than they could have in the past because it just allows for more flexibility with this working from home and not having to be committed to a desk every single day. Definitely 100%. I mean, very, very interesting what you said about just the, the mental effort that we would take to make up an excuse to your coworkers or to your boss and, you know, how that might affect you. You know, you could still be performing your job well, but because of the stigma and if you're deciding to go and look for help, then that might play around against you because of the lack of education or the lack of empathy that there could be uh, around these issues. Uh, it's definitely really encouraging to to hear your how your clinicians are are taking the lead on on outpatient care trends that are accelerating because uh, you know right now we see this across many industries from psychologists to uh, you know exercising coaches providing online yoga and Pilates so it's really great that uh, Par and Strive Health is uh, leading the way with with outpatient addiction and, and mental health treatments. For what we do, oftentimes we need we need licenses in uh, you know facility license in order to provide intensive outpatient care. So you know we we only are licensed in Pennsylvania, uh, in New Jersey, and New Hampshire to provide intensive outpatient care. So we can't go to South Dakota tomorrow and start providing this care. It, it's a pretty robust process to get licensed as a as a program to deliver this type of treatment. So there's licensing bodies and. You know some red tape that you have to go through, and and it's certainly a process uh, because you know at the end of the day we're we're treating people who who are sick and who need help, and I'm glad that there's there's systems and processes in place uh, to make sure that not just anybody can can open up and and deliver care. So to your point, Eddie, for example, my my facility in northern New Jersey is based in Paramus, right? So in the past we were only treating people within a 15 to 20 mile radius. Now we can treat effectively anyone in the state. We like to have the first appointment uh, in person, but you know, depending on, on what the needs of the individual is, you know, we're, we're happy to be a resource. So as I mentioned, a lot of providers are, are, aren't in network or don't accept Medicaid. Mm -hmm. uh, we accept all major commercial health plans, including Medicaid in New Jersey. So anyone throughout the state can access our care. So uh, another thing that we're seeing is a lot of veterans, as you mentioned, veterans who suffer from PTSD, you know, you, you don't typically find a veteran suffering from PTSD 
living in Manhattan in New York City, where there's a lot of stimuli, a lot of noise, a lot of, a lot of movement, you, you might find them in more re- remote areas of different states. For instance, we do business in New Hampshire with uh, our veteran first responder programming. And you, there's a lot of veterans who live in the northern part of the state. However, there's not a lot of healthcare providers delivering addiction to mental health treatment services out there. So what telehealth does is it enables people who may live two, three hours away from us get that high quality and cost-effective treatment that they couldn't have accessed before. So with the expansion of telehealth and the expansion of technology, uh, you know, we're, we're really fortunate. And I think as a society, we can, we can do a lot, better, uh, a lot better of a job with increasing access to, to high quality care, not just in addiction and mental health space, but from a general, general medical practice perspective as well. On Tangent, instead of sponsored ads, we have Stimulus, where we dedicate a minute of airtime to amplify an entrepreneur building a business that's making a difference. As we have all been reevaluating our work-life balance, some of us have been forced into a new career search, and others are trying to integrate their passions. Our lives have been disrupted. We're rethinking our purpose at the workplace and questioning the paths not taken yet due to fears and roadblocks that are holding us back. In these introspective times, a coach that partners with you to unlock your personal and professional potential is invaluable. You may be itching for a change and staring at a blank screen, wondering how to make purposeful decisions and authentically align with your mission to impact the world around you. On today's stimulus, we have Ariel Saran, the founder and coach at Revel and Awe, a coaching company that supports early and mid-level professionals in identifying and pivoting into their ideal career direction, overcoming imposter syndrome, building confidence, and living into their leadership potential in every area of their lives. To learn more and get a free 30-minute consultation, that's right, free, please visit revelandawe.com slash tangent. That's R-E-V-E-L-A-N-D-A-W-E dot com slash tangent. If you are an entrepreneur or small business owner who would like to be featured in our stimulus section, email us at tangentcommunity at gmail.com. And now back with our friend of Tangent. I just was just curious, how do we fare compared to other countries in, in terms of uh, mental health treatment, mental health awareness? And do you have any... Uh, information about that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to misspeak, so I don't know what the, the statistics and metrics are across the globe. But what I do know is that uh, yesterday was World Suicide Prevention Day. And the, the reality is every 40 seconds, someone takes their life. Uh, so that's almost 800,000 people every single year. And it's a, it's a harsh fact, but, you know, people are dying, dying by suicide. And I want to make a distinction here. I, I say die by suicide and not commit suicide yeah. because often, oftentimes you know, people are misinformed. And we talked about stigma uh, earlier in the conversation. People are misinformed. It's, it's not a commitment. It's not, you know, I'm not committing to suicide. Mm-hmm. Depression and you know, various mental health conditions are, are diagnosable conditions. They're, they're diseases. It's a, it's a mental health condition. And it's chronic. If not treated, it can, it can lead to additional health complications and potentially leading to fatalities as well. So I, I, mentioned, I mentioned it's not commit suicide, but die by suicide because it, it's, a, it's a complex mental health condition that people struggle with. And you know, we, we really need to help people understand that this isn't necessarily a choice, but people need help. And you know, take that extra minute to really ask someone how they're doing. 
if they may seem a little nervous or a little on edge, they might be going through something. And just having someone to listen is is really important. Um, you know, we we shouldn't be afraid of the fact that people have problems and concerns. And you know, we're we're all human, and we can do a better job of kind of reaching out our hand and, and helping people out. No, very very good point, and that you bring up Benji in terms of the the language used around it and, and how that contributes or could contribute to the stigma without people even realizing. And, and this just goes to show how it is such a complex, but uh, it's a topic that we've made a lot of advance in and there's still a lot of room for, for improvement and growth in, around it in, in society and how we talk about it. Sorry, but even with, even with not just mental health, but um, substance use disorders, right? Typically you hear people calling uh, people who suffer from addiction addicts or junkies. And in reality, these, these are people who have probably gone through a difficult time in their life and experimented with drugs. Or, you know, oftentimes we're seeing people with mental health conditions self-medicating with drugs or alcohol. And they're, they're no different than you and me. And, you know, they just hit a rough patch in, on the road. And it's, it's not a choice. It's a, it's a, it becomes a chemical dependency. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't I don't use the word addict or, or junkie. It's someone suffering from a substance use disorder or misusing substances. And again, another, another really important distinction, uh, if we really want to start destigmatizing the, the disease of addiction and the disease, the mental health diseases and mental health conditions that, that people are faced with. Uh, so I just, I just wanted to, to highlight the importance there because I think we could all do a, a bit better of, of learning uh, about how, how to communicate here and, and really not not bucketing people as addicts or junkies but they're human beings and, and they're they're struggling with with the condition that they can get better it takes work um, just like any kind of illness that you may have you know we can get over it for sometimes and sometimes we can't and that's that's reality we're all human yeah this this reminds me of what you uh mentioned uh previous uh, in our previous conversations about the the invisible wounds right if if someone has something that you can see physically or you know that it's evident then we we tend to believe it for some reason and and according to the statistics that you mentioned previously we pretty much all know or if you look to your right look to your left around your workspace around your family around your group of colleagues there will be someone that is you know going through uh, either a, a substance use disorder depression uh, and so on so if someone is not you know not that we have to convince anyone of anything but you know according to the american addiction center uh drug abuse and addiction cost american society more than 700 billion dollars a year in lost workplace productivity healthcare expenses crime related costs so you know it, it's something that affects all of us and that we all have skin in the game yeah there's 25 million americans who suffer from substance use disorders about 44 million americans uh living with mental health condition at any point during the year it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of people and to put things into perspective as well 25 million americans with a substance use disorder there's only 17 about 17,000 facilities providing treatment for addiction substance use disorders so it's certainly it's certainly not enough and that's a that's a big reason why my team and I do what we do and we want it to be accessible and affordable again hence the in network strategy that we're pursuing Let's talk now a bit about, uh, you know, stigma around substance use disorder and, and NIMBYism, which touches a bit on, on real estate. Only this week, uh, a group of Upper West Siders in Manhattan threatened to sue the city over the use of uh, three neighborhood hotels as temporary homeless shelters. And now the city has agreed to evacuate them. What's your, what's your take and, and 
Do you have a, a solution or a, an idea on how to overcome these challenges that modern society faces? Yeah. So just for our audience, in case someone doesn't know what NIMBY stands for, it's, it, it stands for not in my backyard. And unfortunately, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of folks out there that, that don't want people who are actively seeking treatment for substance use disorders to be able to access care uh, in their neighborhoods. And again, it, go, it goes back to stigma because oftentimes people think about someone who uh, is dealing with uh, substance use disorder and addiction as the junkie or you know, someone who's homeless living under a bridge. But you know, in reality, I, I've met and had conversations with a lot of the clients who have come through our doors. You know, they're, they're amazing people. And, and the beauty of it is they're actively pursuing treatment and wanting to change their lives in a really positive way. In a meaningful way. And as I mentioned earlier, there are rules, there are regulations, there's policies and procedures that we need to develop and deploy and implement at our facilities to make sure it's a safe environment and that people that are coming in for treatment are kind of doing their part as well to make sure that they are they're treating the facility with respect, they're treating the building with respect, they're treating the neighbors in the building with respect. And just like you're going to a doctor's office, the same expectation goes. So the NIMBY stuff is, is it's really it's unfortunate, but I think it goes back to education mm-hmm. and educating people that you know it's not just a junkie. This is this is someone who is actively looking for help, who has who has a problem and, and wants to get better. So if someone's going to treatment, you can kind of get to a point of having some compassion and saying, This is someone who's kind of going to the doctor, take care of something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. It's a disease. Yeah, we all have to kind of realize that that. It's just like having someone who has a cold and is going to the doctor. And I'm not saying it's the same. A cold and addiction is very different. But, you know, someone is going to get help. And I, I, don't, I don't see why if, if all the checks and balances are in place, right, and, pe- and own, business owners who are providing these types of services are doing their job, there shouldn't be any issues. I don't know if you've looked into uh, this or do we have any data since pandemics and uh, these black swan events happened you know, I read that over a third of the country is estimated to be suffering from undiagnosed mild to severe depression. I was wondering if you have any comparables to previous crises or how shocking events affect, you know, society's mental stability and, and how do we recover from it? Yeah. So again, I'm not a clinical or medical professional, so I don't want to make any assumptions here or, di- or diagnoses, but, you know, just from a, from a human from a human level, if you if you see or experience something traumatic, it, it can have an impact on you, mm-hmm. and it's it's something that kind of active duty military soldiers who are in active war zones experience on a day to day. Police officers, EMTs, uh, firefighters, you know, they they all experience those types of things on a daily basis, and you see that rates of depression and alcohol use are are higher in those types of professions than than others. So. I would imagine that things like this, the feeling of loneliness, uh, fear, it, it, it's traumatic and can certainly lead having people feel isolated and people not knowing how to manage their emotions. So they may turn to uh, drugs or alcohol or may just have increased anxiety. I mean, living in New York City, every single day I have to walk out of my apartment with a mask. And you know, some people are running across the street when I'm walking by them with a mask on because they're, they're afraid. And I, I'm sure that has some sort of impact on kind of their psyche and, and 
it could be debilitating for some. So I don't know what the past has looked like uh, with regards to black swan events like this, but just kind of from a human level, I mean, people, people are scared. And I think fear can certainly have an impact on your emotional well-being and your emotional health. So let's shift the conversation to a different type of addiction that is affecting all of us, but particularly prevalent in newer generations and millennials and Gen Zers. You know, let's talk specifically about social media and smartphone addiction. How are humans, you know, evolving with the use of, of abuse, the use and abuse of new technology? And how do you see it as a, as a millennial in healthcare? It's a, it's a big question. And, you know, and unfortunately, we, we all see it far too often that, you know, you're, you're seeing a kid in a stroller with an iPad in their, in their hands looking down at a screen rather than kind of observing what's going on around them. I mean, when I was being pushed in a stroller, cell phones were still like 12 inches long, you know, and <laughs> it wasn't, it, you know, you kind of got to observe the world around you. So, you know, the, there's, there's a chemical reaction when you're on social media and you're getting the likes and there's some dopamine hitting your brain and, you know, you're getting the, the reward sensation that something feels right, but it's, it's short lived, but it makes you keep coming back for more. And ultimately you're developing these unhealthy habits that we talked about earlier in this conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think what we really need to do is is learn how to disconnect in a connected world. And, uh, you know, sometimes I get to a point where I need to delete social media off my phone because, you know, my screen time tells me I was on my phone for three hours. And I'm like, that that's just way too too much time. You know, in, in a week, that, that basically puts me close to a day looking at my phone. And there's so much, so much beauty out there in the world. Uh, and there's so much exploration of self to be done that, you know, we really need to start learning how to, how to put down the phone. Uh, so you talk about mental health and how internet and social media can impact it. Well, we're, we're constantly being exposed to people having these perfect lives and accomplishing all these amazing things. And that's just not the truth and it's not reality. And I think we really need to put down the phones. We need to turn off the screens and look inward and start, start really appreciating ourselves, right? And what we're capable of and, and what we've accomplished. And as you mentioned, there's, there's apps like Talkspace that are, that are provided in kind of on-demand therapy, which is great, right? You kind of have a therapist in your pocket and it's kind of reverse engineering the phones, right? You, you're now using it in a really meaningful and productive way to increase access to, to care for folks. Uh, what we do at my, at my company with Strive is we do more intensive, intensive treatment and really focus on uh, substance use disorders and co-occurring mental health conditions. So we really take a really holistic approach, and much it's probably more structured than uh, what you get from Talkspace. But I think with Talkspace, it's a it's a nice kind of level set, a recheck, kind of gut check, if you will, uh, just to kind of talk through things. And you know, again, I think more people are opening up about therapy and the benefits there, and more people are becoming receptive to it. it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It's just like a like a doctor's visit for a checkup, you're kind of checking up on your mental health, and I think it becomes important because there's so much stimulus out there, and we're mm-hmm. constantly exposed to all these perfect lives and people accomplishing amazing things. And again, it's just not not reality. Yeah. We need to we need to go back to self. I think you hit the nail in the head when you said the the dopamine hit to your brain each message, each, each notification that we get. There was there's a social a new social currency that we became addicted overnight, but you know, I personally haven't used Talkspace. I've read uh, about it, but what I find particularly encouraging, you know, for the future of mental health treatment is that Michael Phelps, right, the 
you know, opening up about his own mental situation. And, you know, he's the greatest swimmer, greatest Olympian of all time. If he's not happy or, you know, I don't think happy is a fair word to use here, but if he uh, has to deal with his own issues, then who are we not to uh, be humble enough to to recognize and, and to seek help and it's vulnerability. Yeah, exactly. It's vulnerability and it's being honest with yourself. We all we all we all experience life in in different ways and and nothing's perfect. I mean, we we can kind of go back to the the idea of trauma for a second. And trauma is relative. You know, everyone people can think that trauma is you know being a soldier in in Iraq, you know, in a combat zone, but. And yeah, there's traumas with that, absolutely. But you know, someone someone else's trauma can be losing a loved one uh, to to cancer. It could be losing a loved one to to an overdose. It's traumatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not to say my trauma is worse than your trauma. It's all relative, mm-hmm. right? And we all have different experiences in life. Some people's parents get divorced when they're young. Some people's parents get divorced when they're older. Some people go through a, a traumatic breakup, and they all have impacts on us. And some people are more resilient than others. Uh, so I think having people like Michael Phelps who are advocating for mental health and mental well-being is really important because, again, it helps destigmatize the idea of mental health and that we're all human and we all we all can be impacted in some way. And there's nothing wrong with getting therapy and asking for help. Benji, this has been a great conversation so far, but uh, I want to get you a bit out of your comfort zone into the discomfort zone. And uh I want to challenge you to share with our listeners a professional or personal anecdote about a perspective, an opinion that you had in the in the past that you have changed your mind about. Well, thanks for, for bringing me to the discomfort level. <laughs> I, I mentioned I mentioned uh, uh, vulnerability, right? And and Michael Phelps being vulnerable. So I'll share a little bit about kind of where I was about ten years ago, and it was a powerful moment for me. I, I really felt like. I hit rock bottom. Uh, my mom had just passed away. I was in college. Uh, I had no money. I had 53 cents in my bank account. And I had a credit card limit of $700 on one credit card. Granted, I was 19 or 20 years old at the time. And that was maxed out. And you know, I, I remember I just kind of had to remind myself that this is okay. You're, you're going to be able to get through this and you know, keep pushing forward. And I never took my foot off the gas. But at that time, all my friends were away in college, and you know I didn't really have many people around. And you know I just I just reminded myself that you you it's all within you, right? And you can you can be your biggest motivator and your biggest cheerleader and get through this. So I, I did what I had to do, and you know I wound up getting a bartending gig. I wound up getting a, a job at a gym, and slowly slowly things started uh, going in my in my favor. And now I'm sitting here in, in Midtown Manhattan, working with a, an amazing healthcare company. I used to work for a Fortune 500 company. And you know, life has been really good to me. But I remember it was, it was really, really tough being at that, bo- that bottom place, feeling alone. But I knew that that place wasn't forever. And I knew that I, I would be able to overcome if I really put my mind to, to whatever it is that I need to get done. So I guess my, my perspective changed, right? I, I didn't. I, I kind of asked myself, when is this ever going to end? And the idea of why let when get in the way, it, 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 it just becomes an obstacle and you can't let when get in the way. You can only just be present in the now and do what you can right now in order to make the change and make that positive impact in your life. That's very, very touching, Benji, and very brave. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Benji, what, what, the, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self if you were starting your career in healthcare entrepreneurship today? 
well, <laughs> ten, 10 years ago is when I was when I was 20. And I kind of just gave you guys a, a glimpse into uh, what was going on for me. So yeah, again, I think I, I touched upon it uh, at the end of that. The answer to that question is don't let when get in the way. Yeah. Uh, and that and that's it. Don't let when get in the don't way. Don't let when get in the way. You know, there's there's no rush to get things done. If you're going to do something, do it right. And, you know, I was having a conversation with my wife last night about what it takes to kind of build a company and that there's still so much more to do and so much more that can be done. And where do I focus my attention? And she said, well, it's like building a house. You wouldn't build all the rooms at the same time. You'd focus on one room at a time because you're one person, right? So focus on one thing at a time. Don't have this fear of what the future holds for you because the only thing you can control is right now. That's great. I love that. I'm sure our listeners will too. Don't let one get in the way. Don't <laughs> let one get in the way. Hashtag. Last but not least, Benji, if uh, someone listening to us wants to seek for uh, health, uh, you know, where can our listeners find you or uh, Par and, and Strive Health uh, website, social media contact? Yeah. If, uh, if anyone needs help uh, or is looking for help or has a loved one looking for help, all of our information is on our website. It's www.strivecares.com. Again, all the phone numbers, email addresses, physical addresses, it's all there. So feel free to reach out to us. Yeah, we're adding that to the description of this podcast episode so everyone can find it there. Benji, thank you once again for being here with us today. It's very interesting, very touching, and definitely uh, some encouraging insights into the present and future of uh, mental health awareness, mental health treatment, and co-occurring issues, and, and to learn from, from your experience firsthand. Thanks for having me, Eddie. Really great talking with you, and I'm, I'm glad to share the message. I think it's really important for people to continue to learn, and I'm happy to be a resource to anyone who wants to continue to learn. Thank you. That is it for today. This has been your Tangent host, Edward Cohen. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with a friend. Thanks for listening, and remember, stay curious and always be learning.